Thanks for tuning in for Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Uh, coming up shortly, we have, uh, we'll revisit our conversation with Gregory Pardlow, Pulitzer Prize winning poet. We'll talk about issues uh, including race and other issues. Hope you stay tuned for that. First of all, some unfinished business. We have a couple of comments from uh, previous shows. Uh, first, uh, however, uh, some some ground rules, which I hope that uh, we as a UPR community will follow. We had an incident following a recent program where a gentleman uh, contacted one of our guests uh, uh, independently at uh, their place of business. Uh, and uh, a conversation ensued, which uh, let's just characterize euphemistically as uh, unpleasant. Uh, so I think to the to the person, one of the persons involved, it would, went beyond that, and uh, hopefully that person, uh, the gentleman, is listening. This applies really only to him, but uh, uh, some some ground rules. Hopefully, as a community, we will adhere to. Uh, I would ask you to respond to the program directly to the program. We give out the email and phone number frequently, and uh, this is a community discussion, not designed to be uh, something. Uh, off of, uh, of of these premises, so to speak. Uh, so thank you for uh, adhering to that, and uh, thank you so much uh, over uh, over the time uh, for responding to the program. We do want to get together as a UPR community and discuss very important issues, and thank you for participating. And we want to promote a civil dialogue. That's very, very important, especially in these times, and uh, so thank you for your help with that. Let's go to an email from Steve in uh, Beaver Dam, Arizona. Uh, Steve responded to my characterization on a recent program, uh, splitting the country in half. Um, I think on the, the program regarding the uh, women's marches that were happening over the weekend and on uh, yesterday, that uh, half the country was jubilant and the other half was uh, trying to wake up from a bad nightmare. Here's what uh, Steve said. Tom, the country is not equally divided on the inauguration of Donald Trump. Despite bogus claims of having won in a landslide, the truth is that Mr. Trump lost by almost 3 million voters. 3 million. That is not all. With his disapproval ratings going into inauguration greater than 50%, Donald Trump is not only the most unpopular president-elect since the beginning of political polling, and probably ever, his approval rating since Election Day has actually been dropping. This is without precedent, or without president, as Trump himself would tweet. Uh, this is uh, Steve's characterization. After elections, the country invariably rallies behind the winner, and his approval ratings rise over the weeks between Election Day and Inauguration Day, but not Donald Trump's. He has turned this trend upside down. His approval rating has been falling. For some comparisons at this point, the approval ratings for Obama, Bush II, and Clinton, respectively, were at 83, 61, and 63 percent. Donald Trump's approval rating trails those numbers by double digits and lingers in the lower 40s. That is not uh, only half of Obama's approval. At the same point, it represents substantially less than half of the electorate. The country is not evenly divided. Those of us who are in anguish about this are in the strong majority. And Steve uh, gives a link to a, uh, an article at Talking Points Memo um, titled Trump Falling Fast. So thanks for that, Steve. Appreciate uh, your response. And then we got to this email uh, that came in after the program yesterday, our two-hour special program live from the state capitol on the opening day of the 2017 legislature. This is from Veronica. She says, My son is on the waiting list for a long time. They said they do not have the money for the therapist to help them to get into the sex offender program. 
His matrix was three years ago. He was 19 years old when he was incarcerated. He is in Draper waiting, uh, November t- uh, 2010. Can they do something to help him? Please take uh, thank you for your time and uh, your support. So thanks for that, uh, Veronica. And I don't know if we can help in this particular case, but uh, we'll look into treating uh, the general issue on a future Access Utah program. Uh, get those uh, comments in, those suggestions. Uh, we are uh, having at least an, a weekly episode about uh, what's happening at the legislature through the legislative session. And uh, we want some guidance on what you would like to see talked about. You can email us to upraxis at gmail.com. And, of course, listen to UPR News throughout the legislative session for uh, great coverage. Uh, Thanks for listening today, and uh, here is our regular program. The following is an encore presentation of Access Utah. However, you can still participate in this conversation at upraxcess at gmail.com. This program is made possible in part by a grant from the Pulitzer Prize Centennial Campfires Initiative for collaboration between UPR, Utah Humanities, the Salt Lake Tribune, and KCPW. Campfires is a joint venture of the Pulitzer Prize Board and the Federation of State Humanities Council in celebration of the 2016 Centennial of the Prizes. The Centennial seeks to illuminate the impact of journalism and the humanities of American life today, to imagine their future, and to inspire new generations to consider the values represented by the body of the Pulitzer Prize-winning work. The Campfires Initiative is also supported by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation the Ford Foundation, Carnegie Corporation of New York, the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Pulitzer Prize Board, and Columbia University. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. From Epicurus to Sam Cooke, the Daily News to Roots, Gregory Pardlow's collection Digest draws from the present and the past to form an intellectual American identity. Poems that forge their own styles and strategies. In those poems, we experience dialogues between the written word and other art forms. Within this dialogue, we hear Ben Johnson. We meet police canines. We find children negotiating a sense of the world through a father's eyes and through their own. Gregory Pardlow's collection, Digest, out from Four Way Books, won the 2015 Pulitzer Prize for Poetry. It's also shortlisted for the 2015 NAACP Image Award. It was a finalist for the Hurston Wright Legacy Award. And his other honors include fellowships from National Endowment for the Arts and the New York Foundation of the Arts. His first collection, Totem, was selected by Brenda Hillman for the APR Honigman Prize in 2007. He's also the author of Air Traffic. It's a memoir of essays forthcoming from Knopf. And he joins the faculty of the MFA program in creative writing at Rutgers University Camden this semester. Uh, Gregory Pardlow lives with his family in Brooklyn. Gregory Pardlow, uh, pleasure to welcome you to Access Utah. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. It's great to be here with you. Uh, so you, uh, you're you joining that creative uh, writing program, Rutgers University Camden. I think that's your alma mater uh, this semester. It is. It's a little weird. Uh, I actually had my first class last night and got to walk around the campus. Very, very strange feeling being a faculty member now. <laughs> it's, it's a few years, but I can imagine it would be a little surreal. Uh, I guess the first class went well? Yeah. No, it went, of course it went great. I, I love teaching. Um, yeah, but it was a, just a, I guess it was more of a romantic feeling, yeah, a little surreal walking around, remembering the campus as, uh, as it was when I was there and, and all of my aspirations at the time and, you know, just kind of connecting then and now and being very conscious of the, 
the, the drastic differences, changes in my life over the years. Mm. You've uh, got an interesting biography. You've worked in a restaurant in Denmark. You've uh, been in the Marine Reserve. You help uh, run a jazz club. Um, I want to uh, start here with the with the Pulitzer. You've talked. I've read. You've talked about the Pulitzer. Uh, of course, uh, receiving the Pulitzer in 2015, life changing. I imagine one one effect uh, boost sales for Digest. Did it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's an understatement. It. Um, I spoke to my publisher uh, almost immediately and she said the first call she made was not to congratulate me but was to the printer to, to, to print more more copies of the book so yeah it was a, a dramatic and and kind of swift uh, impact on the book sales it gives you a platform as well right and you've you've set a platform to perhaps promote other poets and, and writers who uh, who have you promoted who do you want to promote yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so, you know, as a, as a poet, and I think this is largely the case throughout the poetry community with uh, the book sales, you know, it's not something that, that poets often look forward to. Uh, so it, the, the biggest boon to, to me personally is the, the ability to, uh, to have people listen to me to get the opportunities like like this to be on your show and to, to talk about um, to mention younger younger poets and and mostly really the the opportunity to to um, kind of shift the needle a little bit in terms of the the ways that we think about uh, American poetry what American poetry is supposed to do who an American poet is supposed to be. Um, you know that I, I, there were. I wish I had um, more people to uh, kind of imagine my future. You know, sort of fit into the uh, a model. That's the word I'm looking for. To model my my uh, path, career path after when I was uh, coming up as a as a poet. Um, and so I like to kind of try on some some. Different hats, mm. critic, teacher, um, public persona. Mm. <laughs> right. You, uh, I was, <laughs> it was fun to read in an interview. Uh, you were up for a, a, another prize. Um, you came back to the hotel, and your daughters asked you if you'd won the prize. They were happy you had not won the prize. Oh, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So there's um, the the downside is. You know, I, I often say um, it was kind of like a, I felt like a, a studio musician for many years. You know, I was kind of quietly doing my work, and then suddenly um, I'm, I'm out in the, on the middle of the stage. That required me, that resulted in me doing a lot of traveling. And uh, my, there was, the book was being considered for another prize shortly after the, the not shortly, but several months after the Pulitzer. And I mentioned it over dinner and my daughters were worth happy that I it did not win and so I asked you know why and, she, and uh, my youngest who is uh, who's eight um, said, well that I remember before the prize <laughs> it was just even in that tone was just heartbreaking we spent much more time you were at home for dinner more and, you know so there's a uh, it, it, it does wonders for for my um, 
my ambitions in in uh, sort of being a, a change agent in the world. Um, but yeah, it's a tough balance to to also attend to the, the things that I obviously care about the most. Mm. You know, my family. Yeah, ch- children will keep you grounded. That's that's yeah. one, of the, one of the one of the nice things. Um, and, and you have you have said that uh, the, the poems in this book, the collection digest reflect your anxiety around being father of, of young children. Yeah, yeah. So when I started the book, uh, I the girls were. I have two daughters. Uh, they were very young. Um, the youngest was an infant, and and so I was still kind of. And I mean, who who does really? I haven't met anybody who's you know sort of confident about parenting. Um, but I was very conscious of the fact that. I was very critical of my father growing up. And, you know, as many boys have uh, uh, conflicting relationships and, uh, uh, you know, difficult relationships with, with fathers, especially uh, domineering fathers, uh, I knew I didn't want to be that. And I, I find myself speaking a lot about models and, and role models. Uh, but... My father served as an anti-role model, and and you know what's what do you have when um, when you're modeling yourself in the negative? You know, so that there was a space of anxiety, a space of of um, just wonder and immense responsibility, and, and 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 as I say, anxiety. So it was the perfect; these were the perfect conditions for writing poems. Mm. Ironically enough. Um, yeah, and so I, I just tried to funnel that inner energy into my, my creative process. So your father was kind of an anti-model, I, I, and I think a lot of us, maybe most of us, uh, I mean, you, you have your personal experience, but uh, we're, we swear we're going to correct the mistakes we perceive in our parents. <laughs> and what do we end up doing? And what do we end up doing, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, I wonder if we could j- jump in, um, have you r- read uh, uh, a poem? I wonder uh, if you could read uh, Problemata. I don't know if you have that. that's how you're pronouncing it, Page starting at page six. This is in three or four uh, different, I don't know if you call them sections, but kind of divisions. Yeah. Um, oh, the first one, the Governor Morris. Yeah. That one. Yeah, so this this is a series of, of poems Um that are kind of the through line, what I'm loosely thinking about, is the, the Abraham and Isaac story. And, uh, and precisely the ways that um, the domestic life is uh, sort of uh, important in terms of how we think about our political lives, our lives outside the home, and uh, and who has one of the, my questions regarding my regarding parenting that is is how far does my uh, or how far do I want that is to extend my authority you know so do I follow my kids around uh, will I continue to follow follow my kids around you know through their daily lives and and it got me thinking about uh, the ways. The ways we father uh, in politics for good and ill. 
Hmm. Yeah, that's um, an interesting connection. I would have you three, you know, all uh, each of you know, those four poems that that uh, comprise Problemata. Okay. Problemata. In the preamble, Governor Morris refers poetically to the domestic tranquility shattered by rebelling veterans who, unable to pay mounting war taxes, confronted the state for having seized their homes. They argued their point with bayonets fixed to their flintlock rifles, point being that blood should have been enough, as it was in their barter economy, to square their debt in the revolution. Morris could not abide an economy that imagined exchange in such discreet terms. For him, every shilling appraised on an altar of speculative devotions, every home subject to the metaphoric notion of home, the value of tranquility proportionate to the power one has to gerrymander the metaphor. Consider the dear evangelists who canvass our homes Saturday mornings, who share their pamphlets and good words, their domestic concerns swelling with their longing for the fellowship of us. Spinoza gives us this reason not to opt off of their call lists. The good which a man desires for himself and loves, he will love more constantly if he sees that others love it also. He will therefore endeavor that others should love it also. Be tolerant of their attention, their pursuit of agape, a planet-sized chip they bear on their shoulders from house to house, door to door, welcome or not, blessing whatever they find inside. I finally friended my brother. It may be we will never speak again. Why speak when we have this crystal ball through which to judge one another's lives? I imagine this is what the afterlife will be like. I'm ghost, we say, instead of goodbye. It is nearly July in Brooklyn, and already the fireworks from Chinatown warehouses are bursting in stellar fluorescence like tinsel-tied dreadlocks above the bushwick tenements and the brownstone blocks of bedsty now littered with the skittering decollage of wrappers exploded across blacktops and handball courts, playgrounds and sidewalks knuckled by tree roots. My neighbor's teenaged boys argue who possesses the greatest patriotism. Just as pit bulls chained to their fists imply their roughly domesticated manhood, they seek to demonstrate their patriotism with bottle rockets, spinners, petards, these household paraphernalia of war. The competition is vigorous, draws spectators and blood. When the smoke clears, no charges are filed. We neighbors waver distractedly a moment before tracing our paths back into our quiet homes. It's Gregory Pardlow. That's from his collection Digest, and uh, that is Problemata. Problemata, um, yeah. consisting of, of four poems there. That last one, uh, July in Brooklyn, the, the fireworks, um, and it's it, it's a tradition, of course, and uh, I think all of us can relate to that. The this uh, kind of the sense of of danger, this the sense of uh, dangerous demonstration that we've incorporated into our 
into our you know domestic uh, traditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that it didn't occur to me really, and this is often the case in writing the poems that that, that, that sense of bringing danger into the home, into the domestic life, didn't occur to me until I started writing the poem. You know, so it kind of begins with this this itch of of curiosity, this um, interest in just the the sense of fear, you know, the burgeoning sense of fear. And as you, as your listeners have heard, I live in, in Brooklyn in, in uh, a neighborhood called Bedford-Stuyvesant, uh, which is a historically black neighborhood. And as with many urban areas around the country, it's rapidly gentrifying. Uh, and so we moved in, my wife and I are part of the gentrifying wave, uh, admittedly, and we moved in at a time when there were many t- the changes in the neighborhood were perhaps um, most stark socially. I mean, so we're always aware of it physically and, and geographically. We can look around and see the signs, but you could you could feel it very distinctly in the social interactions around. And so it was this interesting balance, this curious balance of anxiety in the home with being a new father, being new parents, and then this anxiety outside the home with, you know, not quite fitting into the social fabric as it had been, uh, and and see, and yet sharing this tradition of, uh, you know, the Fourth of July and, and these these. Uh, Suddenly, strange ways of expressing our patriotism, our patriotic zeal, became very uh, became very aware of the oddness of that. Now, suddenly, I want to have you at a, a, a feel a connection, see a connection to it, uh, and it's <laughs> it's an extraordinary poem, extraordinary idea. Uh, I'm talking about Black Pampers, ah. um, which um, which is on page fifty. I'll have you read that next, but I I want to go back one poem. Um, I wonder if this is, this is always dangerous to ask a, a writer, a poet. I finally friended my brother. Is that that mm. is that autobiographical? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, we laugh about it. I mean, I the poems come out of um, an emotional truth, and, uh, and I think at the time that I wrote the poem. Um, I was reflecting on the fact that it had taken very long, a very long time, for me to friend my brother on on, phrase, on Facebook, and and of course that implies he that he didn't uh, friend me either, uh, and very quickly. So I was kind of musing on how strange it was um, when we have these this electronic connection, this electronic um, um, social medium that creates these false connections between so many people. And here, you know, my sibling <laughs> and I refuse to engage in this. And, and so what is, uh, just what is that about? Mm-hmm. And so when I finally did, it was all the more sad. It saddened me all the more because... Um, now we had an excuse for not talking. You know, it wasn't <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. there was no, there was no um, sort of ever-present 
guilt or anxiety or, or uh, you know, there's an, a different kind of feeling of, of, of presence. Man. Yeah, the, the line, it may be we'll never speak again, you know, that we've right. each other. Uh, um, and then why, why speak when we have this crystal ball through which to judge one another's lives? Right. That, that right. I think that resonates with a lot of people. A lot of, I think a lot of people are, are judging out there. You yeah, know? yeah uh, and it's kind of set up for that. Right. I mean, I, I have the, I often have the feeling that, um, well, Facebook, for example, we are these are staging areas. These are these are areas for our our most sanitized performances of um, of our per- public personalities, and you know, it's we put them we we put these personalities we put these characters on the page to be scrutinized and and. Uh, you know, I think it only makes sense that we want to be praised, we want to be liked, you know, both in the electronic sense and in the uh, sort of human sense. Um, but at, at the same time, we're, we're putting our, making ourselves vulnerable to, um, to criticism, to negative criticism. And, you know, one of the, <laughs> one of the things that, my brother and I uh, don't share is, well, he's 10 years younger than I am, and it, I always felt like he grew up in a different family, you know, with different parents. And so his, um, his taste, let's say, is very different from mine. And, and you know, so the, at the root of it is this uh, sibling rivalry, that, you know, the sort of family aggressions. Uh, but they get expressed in ever more sophisticated ways as the years go on and we get older. And, uh, and so I, I can look at his Facebook feed and, and think, oh, look how he's decorating that living room. Oh, that is awful. <laughs> but I know, I know, you know, way in the back of my head, it's, you know, it's because, you know, mom brought him home from the, from the hospital that fateful day and, and <laughs> stole my attention. <laughs> Yeah, that, that you'll never, never forgive, right? That's, well, exactly. <laughs> that's, uh, that's that's how it is. Um, uh, I'm thinking about how, the ways in which I mean, you talked about this just briefly there. Uh, the ways in which social media, our internet connected world, it does connect us, but also distances us right. as well. And I want to compare and contrast that with what you view as the purpose of. Of, of poetry, the, it's, it's poetry. Do you view yeah. poetry as connecting us, making us more? In, is, is it an intimate act? Is that opposed sure. to you know the, the social media? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, so social media deals in in surface, um, um, all in surfaces. Period, and and even so, I, I've kind of moved away from um, Facebook and and. Uh, for various reasons, but I, I, I've been gravitating toward Twitter only because there's something a, a little more intimate about composing um, composing a statement to be shared, right, as opposed to um, presenting myself to be looked at. And at the, the poem, in all writing, uh, but I think poem, poetry most uh, primally is a state of utter 
vulnerability, utter um, sort of emotional and psychic vulnerability. I am I am putting myself on the page. So just as we we put our lives on Facebook, for example, to be scrutinized, uh, I am putting my emotional life, my emotional truth, my inner life on the page to be scrutinized, but with the confidence that um, that the reader is coming to the page with in, with goodwill, hmm. right? And so that's a the poem assumes a assumes a kind of and I, and I think rightfully so assumes a kind of utopian uh, um, image where the 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 forms of violence that are possible and uh, across the the relationship between the poet you know through the poem to the reader you know I, I'm hard pressed to think of of any kind of violence that can be smuggled into that relationship right it is mm-hmm. it is an intimate relationship and it is an inherently peaceful relationship because the poem the reader can't even access the poem without making herself equally vulnerable right and so yeah. when this, these two yeah, that's a good point when these two figures meet over the poem you know i can't come i can't even say i don't like this poem until and and after i have made myself I've owed myself to the poem, mm-hmm. right? And so um, there's a yeah, there's an, an inherently intimate. Uh, the, the poem demands a, a, an intimacy that I, I don't think we have many opportunities to explore elsewhere in our public lives. I wonder um, if if you worry as a writer about uh, and. and Putting poems out on a, on a medium like Twitter, if you worry about impermanence, I, I'm thinking about uh, the the historian H.W. Brands, uh, who is currently engaged in uh, in tweeting a haiku history of of America, um, which is you know which is wonderful, but I kind of wonder. <laughs> I've, I've interviewed him. I didn't ask him that particular question. Whether he wonders, uh, you know, about that, the impermanence of that. It's it's tweeted. Some people will catch it in the stream, or maybe they're following you, and uh, and then it seems like it's gone. Yeah. Well, I don't. Um, I think there is a burgeoning genre. I'll call it for for the time being uh, of. People writing in in however many characters, the 140 or whatever it is, characters that that Twitter allows, uh, and I think the more people do it, the more um, uh, established, the more legitimate it, it becomes. I'm not te- you know technology has always been uh, an influence on writing. Uh, you know the the radio had you know, dramatic uh, impact on literature, television, certainly. And so there's, there's always going to be some new technological um, counterpart to the, the printed page. But I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a page guy, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, 
I'm a, a pen and paper. I I I love the, the fundamental materials, and you know I, I understand your reading digest my book on uh, in its electronic copy, mm-hmm. yeah. right? So the it's it's out there. It's going to the book is going the work is going to be translated into the the ether uh, in one way or another. So I don't get really wrapped up in, in or, or anxious about the um, the role of technology mm. after the fact, yeah. We're talking with uh, Gregory Bardlow. He is author most recently of the collection Digest. We're hearing poems, and, uh, and we're talking with uh, Gregory Bardlow uh, on the program, and uh, Digest is the 2015 winner of the Pulitzer Prize for uh, Poetry. Let's take a break. When we come back, I'll have you uh, read uh, Black Pampers and uh, some other poems. Continue this conversation. You're welcome to join it at upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. I'll also ask you, uh, Gregory Pardlow, about your time in uh, Copenhagen, and, and you've translated a, a, oh, yeah. a, a book from, from mm-hmm. Danish in, into English. Uh, very interesting. Uh, I'll ask you to compare, compare and contrast the, the, the art of translation to, to writing your own uh, poetry. More follow this break. Support for legislative programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and the USU Provost Office, Center for Women and Gender, promoting discussion and research on gender issues and the intersection of social justice and culture. Information at cwg.usu.edu. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and support for science reporting on Utah Public Radio comes from the Utah State University Ecology Center providing training opportunities for today's science communicators, one story at a time. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams, and I'm talking with poet Gregory Pardlow. His uh, latest volume, called Digest, uh, won the 2015 Pulitzer Prize for uh, Poetry. Um, He has a memoir uh, that's uh, coming out uh, shortly called Air Traffic, uh, coming out from Knopf, uh, he has uh, joined the faculty of the MFA program in creative writing at his alma mater, Rutgers University, uh, Camden. He's also taught, I believe, at uh, Columbia, and he lives with his family in uh, Brooklyn. You're welcome to join the conversation here by email to upraxis at gmail.com. Uh, so, Gregory Pardlow, uh, you, you mentioned you live in uh, Bedford-Stuyvesant, called, yes, correct. I guess, commonly known as Bed-Stuy. Um, it, kind of upwardly mobile, there's, a, there's that vibe, I guess, or aspiration. Yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> I I often say we we bought our house in two thousand five, uh, right at the well, very, very as the, the market was reaching its peak before the the crash. Uh, so it was a a point a moment when banks were you know giving away mortgages along with the the lollipops, and uh, there was absolutely no earthly reason why we should have gotten a mortgage at the time but you know we did and we were we were uh, managed to be some of the few people who uh, held on through the um, through the market crash and so I've seen this neighborhood um, change dramatically um, and it's it's interesting because it I have this in my family there's this narrative of home ownership you know each generation has to, has bought a house and and um, you know, we go back to grandma and grandpa's house for holidays. You you go back to you know 
you drive by great grandpa's house where you know all the stories uh, to hear all the stories and so it was kind of imperative for uh, my wife and I to to buy a house and you know just as luck would have it where uh, we've weathered a couple of storms and and managed to find ourselves in a, a very fortunate uh, circumstance so could I have you uh, read uh, Black Pampers? Uh, this is page 58. Um, setting this up, this is, uh, it's a wonderful idea. Um, it, it's written in the form of a, of a book description. Mm-hmm. And I, I have to tell you, and you're probably not the first one, I, I went looking for this book. Yeah. <laughs> yes, right. Uh, because I, I just seems <laughs> that the title of the book is Black Pampers, Raising Consciousness in the Post-Nationalistic Home. Uh, I did a couple of Google searches and I, uh, you know, couldn't find the, uh, I was disappointed. I couldn't find the book. Right. Yeah. No, it was a, I, I felt horrible as I was playing a cruel joke on, on people. I, uh, so I, I met, uh, a guy who told me he wrote, uh, descriptions of uh, catalog descriptions for rare books. And I, I thought, wow, that's gotta be it. Cause I'm interested in this idea of forms and of received forms. I mean, so the, the sonnet is uh, more than uh, a form; it is a set of conventions, and we recognize those conventions, and you know we play by those rules. And, and so, what are the? It occurs to me that that a, a catalog description has some very rigid conventions, and I, I was interested in, in sort of exploring that. But then it occurred to me that I needed a book to fit those conventions and you know rather than it was no fun to to go out and find a book that would fit those conventions it would be more fun to come up to and uh invent a book that would do that and so and i i, I tell uh audiences this at, at my readings i started thinking about well what kind of content would be need would be necessary for this poem it would have to be something a little outdated, um, almost obsolete, but you want to keep it around a little more. You have some emotional connection to it. It has some uh, emotional value, uh, but it's not terribly useful. And, and it occurred to me that I was describing my parents <laughs> in no way. <laughs> and I, so, uh, my, my father since passed, but I, I used to tell when I told him that joke, he absolutely loved it. So, uh, so I had permission to <laughs> to share it. Um, yeah, and my parents were, were always have always been really great sports about um, my ribbing, and and it's it's sort of you know. I, so I I grew up in the shadow of the civil rights movement, and my my parents were these upwardly mobile blacks who moved out of the city to the suburbs and I, I, it's funny i sound like i'm you know telling my own story here and in, in a way it's just in reverse because i'm my wife and i moved back to the city but anyway uh so they you know had the house in the suburbs with the fence and the in-ground pool and uh and i would i would always tease my mother particularly because um and for many good reasons, she would warn me about the the dangers of racism, you know, that they had created this very safe 
home for me in this very safe environment, in this kind of uh, cloistered and uh, protected environment. And so there's a, um, a kind of ambivalence that, you know, I will, I will have been declawed to some extent, to such an extent that, that when I, I leave the home and go out into the world, I will have no way of defending myself against the, the, the realities that are, that are out there. And so I, res- I have a lot of respect for, obviously, for um, you know, the work my, my parents' generation did. And in a, in a way, in a, in a lot of ways, the protection of the home that they provided for me, I don't know, perhaps it made me not just naive enough to not see the, the kinds of microaggressions and, uh, or, or to ignore or blow off uh, the, the, the kinds of daily um, expressions of, of racism that, um, that they, my parents, were all too not too um, were were altogether sensitive to. So, hmm. all that to say that I have been thinking about the um, relationship between humor and uh, and the, the the pain of this very American story, right? and, and so this poem comes out of that. 837, Wilson, Shirley Ann Mfumi, Black Pampers, Raising Consciousness in the Post-Nationalist Home, Black Talk Press, Lawnside, New Jersey, 1976, 442 pages, Illustrator Unknown, 10.5 by 11 and 7 eighths inches. Want tips for nursery decor? Masks and hieroglyphics, Aquaba dolls, send Raggedy Ann to the trash heap. This tome is a how-to for upwardly mobile black parents beset with the guilt of assimilation. Revealed here are the safety pinnings of the nascent black middle class, their leafy split-level cribs and infants with Sherman Hemsley hairlines. (laughs) Of interest are bedtime polemics on the racist derivations of the wheels on the bus. Chapter headings address important questions of the day. How and how soon should you intervene if you suspect your child lacks rhythm? At what age should you begin initiating your little one to the historical memory of slavery? And how ethical is the two-cake solution? One party for classmates and a second so you can invite the cousins. Indispensable to collectors for whom Aesop's African origin is no matter of debate will be the gloss and annotation comprising the bulk of the text of the lyrics to Stevie Wonder's Black Man. According to the jacket copy, one of the alternate titles considered was What to Expect When You're No Longer Expecting Revolution. Usual occasional scattered light foxing to interiors, contemporary tree calf exceptional, about fine condition, $75. <laughs> this, uh, <laughs> it's wonderful. Um, I, it, uh, I I don't know. As I was reading this, responding to it, I, I small microcosm, I suppose, of of uh, so, some issues of of race. Because I I was laughing, I was enjoying right. it, but then I was wondering, should I be exactly. laughing? And should you know, I? You know, it's fascinating uh, 
to read the read that poem around the country because yeah, this is you know it's at a and I this wasn't planned by on my part by any means. You know, I'm just being in the historical moment that I am. But I, I realize that we that this historical moment is one in which, um, you know, we're, st- we're is it too soon to to, to laugh? Yeah, about yeah. Is it too soon? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Racism, and, mm-hmm. and so we're just now sort of coming out of the you know uh, out of the the bunkers and and blinking into the sunlight, you know, to to smell the fresh air, and and uh, and so I you know I read this, this poem. And it's almost a generational divide, right, where, you know, half the audience uh, feels very nervous and, and awkward, and uh, another half of the audience uh, is thinks it's hilarious. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, how and how soon should you interview if you suspect your child lacks rhythm? Uh, that's a particularly uh, good good line. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd rip from the headlines, Donald Trump visits a black church in Detroit. And the, the, the late-night comics, what they're laughing about is his, his you know, really bad rhythmic swing. You know, to, <laughs> And, and maybe that's. Yeah. They also, you know, talk about other aspects of it. But, but it, in a way, it's kind of avoiding the elephant in the room. You're t- you're using one one aspect of the, of the experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, how do we talk about the elephant in the room, right? When when um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an electrified elephant in the room. You know, so as soon as you you point it out, everyone gets uh, gets shocked. And and so I, I wanted a way to to say, yeah, okay, this thing is here, and and we all deal with it. And you know, the conversation is not going to progress any unless you know we can you know, sort of. Um, Recognize it as a shared experience, mm. right? and one of the yeah. uh, one of the best ways of of bringing people together, of diffusing tense situations, is, is humor. Uh, I wonder. Um, there's a certain pressure, isn't there? I, I, I'll just ask you: um, mm. if you're black and a writer, mm. is there uh, pressure to be a black writer? Put the two to words to, to, right, to represent. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there. Of course, there is. I mean, that is the same as there's a pressure to represent any uh, sort of um, marginalized identity group, uh, and rightfully so, because people want to see themselves represented. Here, here, so and so has an opportunity to, um, you know, to speak on behalf uh, on our behalf, and. You know, there may be a feelings of betrayal if that so and so does not speak on behalf of the the, the um, marginalized group X. So I, I recognize the social needs in that relationship, but at the same time, and I and I respect those those social needs. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I'm an artist, and the whole point of I'm not the whole point. I'm, so I'm showing my cards here. My sense of myself as an artist, uh, what I, what I, my ambitions as an artist, is to um, transcend, to escape the the orbit of uh, a 
have the the broadly representational, the uh, which ends up being uh, kind of the word I'm trying to avoid using is derivative, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's it's you're, right. if you're if you're appeasing a broad identity group, if you're you're representing a broad identity group, and you see that work as doing, and you see your your the poem, let's say, as as doing this work of representation, well, then I'm serving a, I'm serving a different need than, uh, than the needs of my uh, imagination. And, and I, I'm, I recognize there's a fine balance in there that, that every one of us as poets and writers and artists and musicians, we have to find our own, make our own peace with that relationship. Right, because um, you know we're not writing in a vacuum. So, yeah, it's it's that connection that you're you're striving for. Exactly. Uh, that, yeah. that that intimate, uh, safe mm-hmm. connection that you were talking about. Well, let's take another break. When we come back, I'll have you. I'll just alert you, Gregory Pardlo. Uh, have you read uh, Problema Three or is it Problema Trace? I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> three. Uh, yeah. uh, Problema Three uh, on page uh, thirteen. Gets us back to some anxieties of being a father, but also some, you know, societal uh, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. anxieties that, that we have. Uh, we are talking with poet Gregory Pardlow, and his uh, latest uh, collection is called Digest. It won the 2015 Pulitzer Prize for Poetry. More with Gregory Pardlow following this break. This is Science by the Slice. Synthetic spider silk holds promise as a leading biomaterial of the future with its unrivaled combination of strength and elasticity. USU biologists are conquering two major hurdles to its affordable commercial-scale production. The first is development of transgenic bacteria, that is, bacteria with the spider silk protein gene to produce plentiful quantities. The second is the discovery that water provides a safe solvent to craft usable forms of the protein into fibers, gels, coatings, and adhesives for a wide variety of uses. In the future, watch for synthetic ligaments, tendons, and skins, as well as safer airbags and lighter body armor. This segment of Science by the Slice is brought to you by the USU College of Science, offering degree programs in mathematics and varied scientific disciplines. Details at usu.edu science. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. I'm pleased to have as my guest uh, with me uh, today, Gregory Pardlow. Uh, his latest collection, uh, called Digest, won the 2015 Pulitzer Prize for Poetry. Um, and uh, he has a memoir and essays uh, forthcoming. It's uh, called Air Traffic. Uh, if we have time, I want to talk about that as well. Um, and you're welcome to join this conversation at upraxcess at gmail.com. Gregory Partlow, uh, Problema 3. I wonder if you could, uh, any setup that you want to do, and then read this. Absolutely. So this is actually still part of the the series that we started uh, talking about earlier in the, in the show, uh, where the through line, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the Abraham and Isaac story, and um, over the course of writing this, this particular series of poems, I came across uh, Kierkegaard's Fear and Trembling, in which Kierkegaard is sort of meditating on the Abraham and Isaac story. Uh, and he titles his sections Problemas. And so I'm 
sort of in, in, in homage to Kierkegaard, I, I titled the the full poems the uh, uh, Problema Three. So there's Problemata for the smaller pieces, and then in Problemas for for each of the full poems. So you'll he- you'll hear. I hope the, the reader your, or your listeners will recognize the the scaffolding of the Abraham and Isaac story in this poem. Problema Three. The Fulton Street food town is playing Motown, and I'm surprised at how quickly my daughter picks up the tune. And and soon, the two of us, plowing rows of goods steeped in fructose under light thick as corn oil, are singing, Baby, I Need Your Lovin', unconscious of the lyrics foreboding. My happy child riding high in the shopping cart, as if she's cruising the polished aisles on a tractor laden with imperishable foodstuffs her cornball father enthusiastically prompting with spins and flourishes and the double-barrel fingers of the gunslinger's pose. But we hear it as we round the rice and goya aisle, that other music, the familiar exchange of anger, the war drums of parent and child. The boy wants, what, to be carried? To eat the snacks right from his mother's basket? What does it matter? He's making a scene. With no self-interest beyond the pleasure of replacing wonder with wonder, my daughter asks me to name the boy's offense. I offer to buy her ice cream. How can I admit recognizing the portrait of fear the mother's face performs, the inherited terror of nonconformity, frosted with the fear of being thought disrespected by or lacking the will to discipline one's child? How can I account for both the cultural and the intercultural. The boy's cries rising like hosannas as the mother's purse falls from her shoulder, her missed step from the ledge of one of her stilted heels, passion loosed with each displaced hairpin, his little jacket bunched at the collar where she has worked the marionette. Later, when I'm placing groceries on the conveyor belt and it is clear I have forgotten the ice cream, my daughter tries her hand at this new algorithm of love, each word punctuated by her little fist. Boy, she commands, didn't I tell you? (laughs) That's Problema 3, Gregory Pardler, from his uh, collection Digest. Uh, So so the daughters learned this new algorithm of love. (laughs) um, And it's, uh, that's, uh, you know, like any parent has had that experience on both sides of that. On both sides, yeah. right? Yeah, um, you know, and so I, in thinking about that, or the in the as that poem came about, um, we'd had this this experience of walking through the the supermarket and seeing this happen, and and you know, I think earlier drafts of that poem, I was uh, inclined to chastise the mother. You know, you're how could you? Be so rough with your child, and of course he said we've all seen it. And and the more I thought about it, I, I realized you know that's kind of naive to to think as a as a parent uh, I could be above losing my temper in in public. You know, she was my my first daughter. She was still very young at the time, obviously, and and fortunately I I hadn't been tested in. <laughs> in 
in the ways the the boy was testing his mother, and so I could very safely kind of um, criticize, but then you know being honest in the back of my head, you know I have no idea what's going on in this woman's world. I have no idea the the kinds of daily frustrations and and you know the that she came out of some situation too, and as I'm thinking this through, I'm you know, my my daughter is, and I'm, I'm writing in my office, and my daughter is in her bedroom next door, and then it, it occurs to me that, you know, I'm not the only one thinking this through. She's thinking this through. Mm-hmm. You know, what is it, what is it, what does she pick up? What does she learn? You know, she learns that this is an, an appropriate or acceptable way of uh, of interacting, mm-hmm. right? And And if unchecked, she... Or unexamined or undiscussed, uh, you know, she could very well grow up to you know, be someone who deserves to be chastised for, for you know the way she the way she treats her, her children. We are are out of time. We'll leave it there. Oh no! Yeah, we'll <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll leave for another time. A story about uh, translating from uh, Danish to English. I just want to mention. Um, uh, no time for discussion on this, but your memoir, Air Traffic, that's coming out. I understand your your father was an air traffic controller. He was fired by President Reagan along with the other air traffic controllers. That that changed the, right. the arc of your family's life. So we'll have to... Not only my family, but the arc of la- organized labor, I think, in yeah. the world. So we'll look forward to that uh, that memoir and essays so forthcoming from uh, Knopf. The current collection is Digest. It's out from Four Way Books. It's the 2015 uh, Pulitzer Prize winner for uh, poetry. Gregory Pardlo, thank you so much. Thank you, Tom, very much. And thanks for listening to Access Utah. This is Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences, KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSUFM Logan, also heard at upr.org.